Well, good morning, Harvest. Merry Christmas. Hey, I got to just make one admission before we get started. Sometimes as the preacher, when you get up and come on the stage after all of that, you feel like you're up here with a couple of sticks rubbing together and they've already done the demonstration with like the flamethrower. So uh, let's, let's just say this, our confidence is in the God of Elijah, who all, all Elijah had to do was just pray and fire came from heaven, all right? So that's where my confidence is this morning. Hey, uh, if you don't have your Bibles open yet, go ahead and do that. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand real high. We've got some ushers and usherettes coming down the aisles. We would love for you to have a Bible with you. And if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you this morning. So Merry Christmas. You get a free Bible if you don't have one. We want you to have a copy of, of God's Word with you at home. Uh, before we get started, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. For those of you who don't know yet, um, my name is Pastor Connor. I've been on staff here for four and a half months or so. I think that's right. And, uh, you know, I have the privilege of serving as kind of a pastoral resident. Uh, they let me preach every once in a while, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, but another thing about me is I love Christmas. Who loves Christmas in here? Come on. Best holiday by far, right? I mean, growing up, we did everything. We did the, the Christmas lights on the house. I still put Christmas lights on my house. We love it. The kids love it. My, my parents decorated. We did all the cookies and we did all the, the lights. And, and I just love it. I mean, I love the, uh, the, the music, the lights, even a Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Guys, you should not be laughing. Husbands, you should not be laughing. Trust me, believe me, take it from me, watch a Hallmark movie or two or three. It'll go very far for you. Uh, I even love Christmas jokes. I even love Christmas jokes. Does anybody want to hear a Christmas joke? Sure? Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll lighten it a little bit before we get started. So, uh, yeah, here's a good one. What nationality is Santa? Well, obviously he's Polish. North Polish. Yes. Yeah, this guy loves it. Uh, <laughs> do you guys want to hear another one? Yeah. All right. So uh, this is actually a funny story. I told this joke uh, in, in a staff meeting here at Harvest, just to give you a little idea of what I can bring to the Harvest family on an on a at least daily basis. So we're in this meeting, and, and I'm, just, I'm just starting to laugh because somebody mentioned gingerbread houses, and, and, and Pastor Dave's like, you really want to tell your gingerbread joke, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. So I, I, here, here's the joke. You ready? A gingerbread man, he had a broken leg, and he just can't stop, you know, the, he can't stop the pain. So he goes back to the doctor, and he's like, doctor, you got to help me with this pain. I broke my leg. What can I do? And the doctor says, well, have you tried icing it? Yes. So our worship pastor, Taylor Bacon, he's in this meeting and Pastor Cal says, Taylor, how'd you like that joke? And Taylor's like, honestly, I can't even listen to it. It's so bad. <laughs> so, hey, you know, Christmas is, is a time to laugh. It's a time to be with family. It's a time to have these good times. Uh, but, but if we're honest, and some of us can attest to this this morning, there's another side to Christmas, isn't there? You know, Christmas is rightly associated with food and fun and family, laughter, all the good things. But I think many can attest that there is this other angle to it. There's difficult reminders 
around this time of year for most of us. Remember last week, Pastor Dave gave this really heartwarming story about he and Kristen. You remember that? And he was talking about when they met and he was all head over heels for her and they've been together ever since. And she's still the first person he looks for when he walks into a room. Wasn't that nice? And then in the way that only Dave can do, he throws you a curveball and he's like, yeah, by the way, there's going to be a time when one of us is attending the other's funeral. And we're like, wow, thank you. Merry Christmas, Pastor Dave. But, but, but I think that's true. I think it's so pastoral for him to do that uh, because when we, we forget often the, the real reason of why we celebrate Christmas, right? It was that God was going to save his people from something. He was going to save his people from death, from sin, and from darkness. God the Father, right? That's what we sing about, sending the sun to shine light into darkness and to begin his campaign against the enemies of light and truth. But the reality is, even though the kingdom of light has come, even though it has invaded a dark world, we still deal with darkness. We still have to deal with some of this lingering sin and death, don't we? Some of it does linger. And even at this time of year, when everything is supposed to be merry and bright, we are reminded of that. And here's another example. Does anybody love history? Yeah, history buffs in the room, great, me too. So back in 1914, Europe is just in chaos, right? World War I had started, and guys, this was a terrible war. If you read it up on it, it's probably the deadliest war ever. Disease, modern warfare, nobody, nobody knew what to do with these weapons. This, the, the, the death was off the scale, right? And, and so for six months in 1914, they had just been blowing each other up on the, on the, on the Western Front, English and German uh, soldiers, and then Christmas Eve rolls around. And across the trenches, people, the soldiers can hear each other singing Christmas carols. And so they carefully, like, I don't know how, what, what it would have looked like, people just raising their hand in the trenches, like, hey, don't shoot, I have an idea. And so they carefully communicate with each other, it's like, hey, why don't we do a Christmas truce? Why, do, why don't we cease fire on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and just kind of put a pause on blowing each other up? And it worked. So for a whole day and a half or so, they, they came up out of their trenches, they laid their weapons down, and they gathered in the middle of what was called no man's land in between those trenches, and they played soccer, they took photographs, they exchanged gifts. And honestly, it was one of the most incredible marks of the good of humanity in probably history. But what happened next? What happened on December 26th? They went right back to killing each other. And for another four years at that, you know, that war, World War I, was nicknamed at the time the war to end all wars. So much for that. This gets to the reality again of where I want to start this morning, that even at Christmas, there are reminders of darkness. Even at Christmas, there are things that cause us to lose heart. It might be sin. It might be uh, lost loved ones. It might be Christians who just don't seem to be living faithfully in and around your life. And as a kid, I always thought Christmas was supposed to be the happiest time of the year. There are presents, family, bunch of food, right? We're off school, amen? There's singing and parties, but if we're honest, we we still have to deal with some of this stuff. Even at what is marketed to be the most wonderful time of year, some of you feel sharply now what I'm saying. 
You're in it. You're walking through it. You have broken, lost family members you will be spending time with in the next week. Parents, some of you are going to welcome prodigal children back into the home. Some of you will have an empty chair at Christmas dinner for the first time. And, and I imagine in a room this big, there may be some of you who have wrapped a present this season that will go unopened Christmas morning. This is why the Word of God, this is why our text this morning is so important, because it will speak to that. It will speak to how we can respond, how we cannot lose heart when we still have to deal with all of that in the world and in our lives. So if you're not there already, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. Are you guys ready? 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6. I'll read it for us, and then we'll get started. Paul, writing under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And here's kind of the dark side of it. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And here, here's where we come in. We proclaim what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, so I want to draw out two realities this morning. Two realities, two things that can cause us to lose heart. The thing that Paul does not want us to do this morning there in verse one. So the first one is, we kind of mentioned this before, that Christians don't seem to be real. There's a lot of Christians in this world that if we're, on the, if we're looking out there, we're like, that's not faithfulness. Remember that first part of verse two, but we have renounced those disgraceful underhanded, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. So a little background of, what, of the reason Paul wrote this letter to Corinth it's because there were many false apostles. Paul is a true apostle, right? There were many false apostles deceiving people in the early church. They were manipulating and twisting God's word for selfish gain. They, they labeled themselves as Christians, but in reality, they were using this new religion, the popularity of this new uh, growing traction religion as a means of gaining reputation and influence. Sound familiar? It was a way for them to pander or politicize their way into office or power or riches. And, and Paul calls it disgraceful, disgraceful. It's underhanded. It's shameful. It's dishonest. And, and more and more people uh, that we see in this world, there might be a, a great example of that in our day are the false teachers who twist the Bible to say things it doesn't say. And the recent big ticket item, if I can go there this morning, even in a Christmas message, is this new ideology of the worship of self and, and, and truly the sexual and gender revolution of our day. And many people, friends, even Christians are falling for it hook, line, and sinker. And this is a disheartening thing to see. I hope it disheartens you. As professing believers continue to, to, to buy into this narrative, just because it's wrapped in shiny packaging. But make no mistake, we cannot, we cannot expose the darkness in the world, in love, of course. We cannot expose the darkness in the world if we refuse to call this gender sexual revolution for what it is. 
Friends, it is an outworking of the kingdom of darkness. We can't nuance this. And by the way, I I hope our first response to, to what I'm saying or what you're seeing in the world isn't this prideful resentment or this prideful anger for those who have fallen slave to this. Some of you may have loved ones that have. I hope our first response is is humility. I hope our first response is humble heartbreak over this. For if not for the grace of God, how easily would we be swindled? How easily would we be deceived? There is brokenness, friends. There is lostness and confusion, even within churches who claim to be the pillars of light and truth. Darkness still lingers. But even in faithful churches like ours, like Harvest, uh, who strive to preach God's word faithfully, it seems we cannot prevent some from falling away, from some proving themselves to be unrepentant or even counterfeit Christians. They, They could be a part of or around the church for years, but out of nowhere, they fall completely off the wagon with no regard for the pain and destruction they cause in the wake of their decisions. Darkness seems to remain. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do when we see professing believers providing poor examples of Christianity around us like we see in verse 2? Who fail to represent Christ faithfully. They, they may Again, they may be family members that we're going to come in contact to here in the coming days, uh, even a week from today, Christmas Eve or coworkers, or fellow students that we deal with on a regular basis. So what do we do? What do we do? What should we do when other Christians don't seem to be real? Here's number one. Be a person of conviction. That's on us, right? We need to be people of conviction. Look what Paul says in verse 2 again. We refuse to practice those cunt, that cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The open statement of truth. Well, here's one thing that that means. Friends, it means that the Bible's not really that complicated. It's really not that complicated. Sure, there are some tertiary theological topics and some hairy doctrines to work out that I love in my spare time just to read up on and debate people. Like, that's fun for me. Maybe not for you, and that's okay. But on the major things... On the major things, the Bible is very clear. It's very simple. It's clear on what is right and what is wrong. It's clear on what sin and what godlessness are. It's clear on what is good and what is evil, on what is darkness and what is light. It's not cryptic. It's not confusing about mankind's need for a personal Savior and that the only Savior for any person is Jesus Christ. It's very straightforward on these things, church. So this is so much that our children can learn and understand them. Are you teaching them? That's what a person of conviction is. Someone who loves God's word and teaches God's word. So the challenge is this. As far as it depends on us, as far as it depends on earth's harvest, as far as it depends on us, church, are we people of conviction? Meaning, are we people who not only declare what we believe loud and proud, but do we actually live by it when it matters? without compromise and without apology. Or, as we've seen some do, or many do through the years, will we abandon it? Will we abandon the faith? Will we abandon our convictions once it demands, once Jesus demands a price on our lives that we're just not willing to pay anymore? Friends, following Jesus is going to cost you something. But not following him 
It's going to cost you way more. We say we believe this is God's word, right? We say we want to live in the light, but are we following it regularly? Are we exposing ourselves to it? And a quick story, it was last fall, we, we became, it was our first fall as homeowners uh, here in West Michigan, and uh, we got to experience raking leaves. <laughs> Darkness lingers. <laughs> Guys, some of you are going to think my number is really low, but I think it's super high. We probably bagged 70, 65, 70 leaf bags of, of black oak leaves. Yeah, rookie numbers. You're laughing at my jokes earlier, but now you're, yeah. It was a lot for me, okay? So much that I, I, I just got lazy at the end, and my three girls, they love jumping in the leaf pile. So in our backyard, I just left this big pile of leaves. I'm like, yeah, that can stay. And it lingered for a few weeks, right? But what happened? I finally got around to bagging those leaves before the last week of November, before the trash people come and pick up your yard clipping, right? Your, your yard waste. And, and what was left was a dead spot of grass. What happened? I prevented the light and the warmth and the energy from, from the sun from getting to the grass. And it killed it. But in, but in the same way, how many of us inwardly are spiritually dormant because we have not exposed ourselves to the light of God's word? Or worse, we're dead in sin altogether because we haven't acted upon what we say we believe. And, 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 and by the way, as a pastor, I can attest to you, I can tell you, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes between somebody who is spiritually dormant and just not growing or someone who's totally dead in sin. How many of us are falling asleep? How many of us have our eyes become more and more clouded, more and more veiled because we haven't spent time with Jesus and his word? And further, if we aren't arming ourselves with the truth, how are we going to recognize the lies when they start to surround us? Friends, living with conviction from, from and holding to the truth of God's word, that's how we live as lights in this world. But none of that is possible. None of that is possible if we aren't spending time with him, if we aren't communing with him in the scriptures. That's where conviction begins. So first, be a person of conviction. Second, what do we do when Christians don't seem to be real? Number two, be a person who's known. You be a person who's real. You be a person who's known. Paul says, we commend ourselves to everyone. <laughs> We commend our, we open our lives to everyone's conscience. In other words, I allow you to speak into my life and have confidence or lack thereof about me and my walk with Jesus. In other words, we're an open book. We live in genuine, transparent relationships with other believers. We're not closed off. Just think of the life of Paul. He went from church to church preaching an unadulterated, unfiltered gospel. I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what my life is about. That's what my, my, my reputation is about. That's what my vocation is about. Of all the accusations you could make about Paul, hypocrisy was not one of them. He opened himself up to the accountability of the church. He says, you've seen my preaching. You've seen how my life reflects and is consistent with the gospel that I preach. And he even had a reputation with unbelievers, right? It would end up costing him his life. He never backed down. He never gave in. He never gave up. To the end, he was faithful. Would people say the same about you? 
Are you known by your Christian friends and family in the community? Are you recognized as one of those weird Jesus people? What about your church? If you've been here a while, are you in a small group yet? Notice I said yet. Or are you isolated? Are you removed? Do you naturally run towards accountability or do you naturally run away from it? Church, it's pretty simple. We can never truly be real. Listen, we can never truly be real if we're never truly known. You can never truly live the authentic Christian life until you're authentically known by other Christians. This is the body of Christ. This is what Christ has provided for you. You're not living the full Christian life without it. So if we would, let's move to verse three and four, okay? And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, this, these verses, these two, they don't seem to be very Christmassy at first glance. Talking about darkness and people blind and people living in sin, unbelievers. But with, with Paul talking about how many people don't see the light, it's not very Christmassy. But it does show us a second helpful reminder this season of what can cause us to lose heart. In many cases, the gospel doesn't seem to be winning. The gospel doesn't seem to be winning. Take a, take a second where you are. Think about the world currently, some active listening going on here. Do a brief cultural inventory, if you will, of where we are. Does everyone have a picture now? Okay. Are we getting more godly or less as a society? Okay. Are we living more in the light of God's word or less? Does the world seem to become more and more blind by the day? Does there seem to be a growing peace across the globe or rising geopolitical tensions? I guess the answer is yes to all of those. Those are not yes or no questions, right? But you get what I'm saying. We all have those answers. I think those are obvious, but church, I find a strange comfort, and I hope you do too, in these two verses. Words inspired by the Spirit of God himself, because those answers we just, uh, we just went over should not surprise us. He's telling us there will be blind people. He's telling us there will be people who disappoint us, that we should expect this. Even after the first advent of Christ, we still have people walking in darkness. So what do we do? How do we move forward when it appears that we are only fighting a losing cultural battle? Read verse 5 and 6 with me. Here's what we do. We proclaim. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as, as your servants for Jesus' sake. Do you, do you see yourself as a servant for the sake of Jesus. For, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what should we do when the gospel doesn't seem to be winning? And that's going to make up the rest of our time this morning. What should we do when the gospel doesn't seem to be winning? Number one, don't give up. Don't give up. You know, sometimes I wish or, or at least think about what it would have been like if Jesus' first advent was like what his second will be. You can read about a second coming in places like Revelation 19. There's this brightness, there's fire. He comes out of the sky on a horse. It's gonna be awesome. Best Christmas ever, right? 
And in other prophecies, we read that there's going to be lightning across the sky. That's not what the first coming was like, was it? It was quiet. It was humble. In fact, most people in Israel didn't even know about it. Instead of lighting up the sky with this huge thunderstorm, it was more like lighting up a candle in a musty basement. But it was a candle, nonetheless, with immense and immeasurable hope. It's like the single candle that starts all the other candles when churches sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve. It starts in one spot and it spreads. And that is the promise of Christmas, that that a single flame would be kindled and the light of, of Christ and his gospel would spread to the ends of the earth. And there's this great parable that, te- that Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 4 about this farmer, a seed sower, who, who day and night, every day he goes out and throws his seed on the ground. He's like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I, I just throw the seed, and, and over time, stuff grows. I don't get how it works biologically, scientifically, but, but it just grows. And friends, that's what we are as the body of Christ, as the light bearers that he calls us to be. We just throw seed. I, I wish I had some seed for visual effect here for the people in the front. We're just, th- we're just seed throwers and we trust the results to God and whatever he ordains. Regardless of what we see around us, we can trust that God is always working. He's always moving. Christmas reminds us of this. It was the most pivotal moment in history up to that point, the night that God entered creation, that God entered our world in human form, in the flesh of a child. And though he grew up and died on the cross and resurrected and left us physically, he remains here spiritually, which is an even better thing, right? Working in and through us at all times. So we don't stop proclaiming church. We don't stop talking to and about Jesus. We don't stop gathering for worship. We don't stop praying for the lost. Because we know the light has not gone out. It is still spreading. He is still moving, and Christ has called us to continue to be his light in this world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. God is nowhere near being finished in your life, in his plans for the world, so neither are we finished. Can we resolve that together this morning? Let's not give up. We don't give up. Number two, we don't give in. We don't give And in other words, we don't compromise. During the holidays, there's a tendency to do that. There's a tendency to be a little bit more laid back or lackadaisical. And I don't mean from our jobs or or work, but but spiritually even. We travel, we we, uh, take vacation days, we're out of our routines, we're out of our regular rhythm. So when that happens, don't compromise your time with Jesus. Right? I, I think some of us know that vacations and honestly being around some extended family is when we need that time the most. Here's a really specific one that might hit close to home, a really specific example. Hey, parents, when hosting your son or daughter's fiance for the first time, don't compromise. It's your house. So you get to decide where everyone sleeps, right? Regardless of how old-fashioned or archaic you may be made to feel, I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm guessing you have a comfortable couch for him. 
you'll be fine. So don't compromise on truth. Don't compromise those convictions we, we already talked about. Uh, don't uh, uh, make sure that you're, that you're not flexible or, or lenient on those convictions. When the gospel doesn't seem to be winning, press in even more to the truth of what God has done for you in Christ and the life he calls you to live. Don't be tossed to and fro by waves of, and, and carried away by every wind of doctrine. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Stand firm, hold fast. And don't compromise with those who try to tamper with God's word. Don't give in. We don't give up. We don't give in. And finally, when the gospel doesn't seem to be winning, we do not lose our joy. Don't lose joy. Now, in some sense, we receive joy as a gift, and, and, and when we receive something from Jesus, he, he makes sure that we, he never takes it away, but, but it's one of those fruits of the Spirit, right, that should accompany uh, our faith and new life in Christ, but much like faith, we have to cultivate some of that. We have to cultivate our joy by not giving up, by not giving in, and remembering that the story of Christmas isn't over. Even and especially when we feel like the darkness is gaining ground in the world around us, in our lives, in our families, we look to and hold to the promise of verse 6 that God has said, let light shine out of darkness, and that, that he has shown in our hearts the light to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we feel like we've reached our last ounce of joy, we can be reminded of God's work in us and his work to come in the world. He has shined the light of the gospel in our hearts, which means we've seen and understood Jesus for who he is, uh, fully God, fully man, the promised son who entered the world as the light of the world and, and invading the darkness, he went to the cross. And as the nails were driven into him, his hands and his feet, he was driving the death nail to the schemes and the plans of the kingdom of darkness. He was putting an end to the power of sin and the power of death. The king of light has come, church. The darkness has not overcome him. He is winning and he will win. I love the beauty of verse 6. Because what Paul is actually doing, he's taking us back to creation to illustrate what God does in our hearts when we receive the gospel, when we believe the gospel for the first time. And there's this interplay, I love it, between these words light and knowledge. And the interplay is that they're synonymous. Before we receive the knowledge of Christ, our hearts were formless and void and chaotic, lost in this hopeless void of darkness and confusion. But when the finished work of Christ, friends, finished work of Christ was applied to our hearts, it's like the creation of light or the birth of the sun that blasts its way into the dark corners of our hearts and it shines and scatters the darkness, sending it away in defeat. That's the gospel we preach. That's the gospel that has changed us. That's the gospel that is changing us, that is transforming us, and it is spreading across the world. So fear not, Christian. Take heart, believer. 
For you who were once walking in darkness have seen his great light. You who were living in darkness upon you, a light has dawned. And what the first Christmas begins is what the prophet Habakkuk foretold, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is where we are heading Friends, that's where we are heading, church. That's our trajectory. This is what the first advent of Christ began. But, but church, I'll be the first to admit. I'll admit in front of you right now that, that there are times when I lose my joy, when I get frustrated, when, when I really have to fight for my joy, whether it be circumstances that come that don't go my way, plans that don't go my way, or when I look at the world and begin to doubt or fear that the church really is winning. And I remember the angel's words in Luke 2, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. And I'm like, but why is the world so miserable? (laughs) Come on, angel, I thought this was supposed to make everything right. I thought Christmas was supposed to make everything okay again. And in those moments when our joy seems to be weakening, we need to remember something. We need to make sure, we saw it with Jody's video. How awesome was that video? We saw a little bit with that, but what we need to remember is that happiness and joy are not the same thing. Come on. Happiness and joy are not the same thing, and sometimes we confuse the two. Here's an Advent reflection for us. You know, the previous weeks we've done Advent thoughts, but since we're on the theme of light, I thought we'd go reflection. And here's the first one. Happiness depends on the present. Joy depends on promise. Christian, you have to know the difference. You have to embrace that difference. Happiness depends on the present. Joy rests on the promise. Happiness is dependent on the factors that I and others control around me. I can build happiness. Others can create happiness for me, but it's temporary. It's fleeting. Happiness, what does it do? It ebbs and it flows. And it's not to say that God isn't concerned with our happiness. He delights in our happiness. He, He loves when we're happy, but he's no doubt more concerned about our joy. A sturdy, resolute hope in the promises of God to finish the work he started, to hold true to what we've already attained, Paul says in Philippians. And when your heart is anchored in that promise, we can steady ourselves when darkness tries to distract us or lead us off course. So here's what what we'll leave with this morning, the second reflection. The light wins. The light wins. You don't have to worry. The ending is guaranteed. Just as he came as promised in his first advent, he will come again as promised for a second, and that will be the greatest Christmas ever. Friends, this is why we don't give up, why we don't give in, and why we don't lose our joy. Because the war to end all wars has already been fought and already been won. It was launched on Christmas. It was won at the cross. It is now proclaimed in all the world. That is the privilege we share as the church as his light bears to proclaim that good news. So we don't lose heart because we know what Christmas declares. We know what Christmas declares, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge and of the glory of Jesus. Nations will come to him and he will be our everlasting light. The war is decided and soon the promises of Isaiah 2, verse four to five will come to pass. They'll be on the screen. Will you read them with me? He, that is Christ, shall judge between the nations and decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. The weapons will be laid down, friends, because there will be no more need for war. 
Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, O church, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, it is our privilege to walk in your light. And as we move toward Christmas and into the new year, may the joy you give through the light and knowledge of your gospel, may it encourage us to press on, to not give up, to not give in, and to live in steadfast joy, the steadfast joy that you give. Father, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, we wait with hope and we wait with joy. Amen.